be starting in Genesis chapter 26, verse 34, and going uh, to Genesis chapter 28, verse 9. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Bezamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son? And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father? And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, 
See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled with a trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, even me also O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered him and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself by, about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram and to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. 
that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and when he w- and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took his wife, took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neboth. I haven't met you yet, friend. My name's Matthew. You've heard me talking a lot already, but I want you to know who is that guy? Uh, one of the pastors here, and invite you to join me now and ask for God's blessing on this preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we do not grow tired of you speaking to us because your word is the bread of life. To the degree it feels old or distant or cold to our hearts is never the degree to which your word is those things. It is the degree to which our heart is those things. And so we pray right now, Father, that you would help us by giving us hearts that are alive and sensitive and responsive to your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would grant me the gift of unction, that your word might be spoken with clarity and authority and power. And God, we thank you that you are a loving God and you do not speak this word ultimately to condemn us, but to send us running to Jesus Christ for blessing. I pray that would be the end game of this sermon today. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Friend, do you realize that the God we have been singing to and praying to and who just spoke to us through his word is not a lifestyle option? He's not a species of spirituality that can be fit into an otherwise self-centered existence. Sometimes we think of God that way. We think of him as as an add-on to our life, right? So we have our family, we have our work, we have our school, we have our relationships, our, our hobbies, our entertainment, our financial goals, and then kind of like a spice in cooking, we think, well, I'll just add a little bit of church and relationship with God's stuff to kind of round things out. It's certainly nice to know God's always there, especially if I feel a little down and I feel like I need an emotional pick-me-up. Those are the weekends I try to make sure I get to church. Of course, those are 
Also the weekends, I'm not so sure I even want to go anywhere near church because I might be told to do something that I'm not doing and I don't really want to do. Who wants that kind of guilt trip? I'm, I'm cool with God and all. Maybe you've heard that or said that. I just like to keep him on a leash where he doesn't require anything too extreme or make me feel anything I don't want to feel. Friend, I want to remind you, or if you've never heard this before, proclaim to you that God is far too real and far too good and far too glorious to allow you to indefinitely persist in confining him to the sideline of your life. He won't do that. In other words, he's not like the HR department at your office. <laughs> okay? As long as you fill out their forms, right? Attend the random training sessions and, and don't do something really stupid, not to denigrate all of you who work in HR, okay? You can keep right on doing the work you want to do. God's not like that. Why not? Because we are not players in a man-centered universe. Okay, we are creatures in a God-centered universe. And as the Apostle Paul declares in Colossians 1, all things were created through him and for him, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Welcome to reality. That reality confronts every single one of us with a choice. And that's this. Humble yourself or be humbled. Those are your options. Humble yourself or be humbled. Surrender control of your life to God or God will take your life from you. Isaiah 2.11 warns us. Hear this of, of what will inevitably come to pass at the end of the age. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. It's where all this world is going. And in light of that, it's infinitely better, friend, for you to humble yourself before the Lord on this day than for the Lord to have to humble you on that day. Infinitely better for you to humble yourself than to wait until the Lord humbles you. And in his great kindness, God has given us his word to do exactly that. You realize that? To humble us, to humble our pride. And Genesis 26 to 28 does that. Stories like this are designed to urge us, to motivate us, to abandon our pride before it's too late and surrender our lives to the merciful God whose purposes prevail. The, the theme of this entire story is in some ways the theme of the entire book of Genesis, okay? It's all about God's blessing. You may, you may have gotten confused with all that he said, she said, what did he do, what did he want? The, the big idea is everybody is hunting for God's blessing. They're chasing it, they're fighting over it. And there's a reason for that because back in Genesis 12, the Lord promised Isaac's father Abraham 
that he, God, would bless Abraham and his descendants. And what? That through his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So Abraham passes that blessing on to who? His son Isaac, right? And Isaac tries to pass that blessing on to Esau. Only it doesn't work out, right? Jacob gets blessed, not Esau. And there's a reason it works that way. And it's a reason it has something not to do ultimately with the schemes of men, but with the providence of God. Listen to this. The reason is that God's trying to teach us something that has everything to do with motivating us to humble ourselves before the Lord and completely surrender our lives to him. To do that this day, instead of waiting for him to do that to us on that day. So how does the Lord do that? How does this story urge and motivate us to humble ourselves, lay down our pride before God? I think it does it this way. By teaching us that God bestows his blessing in a way that exalts his mercy and humbles the pride of men. That's the big idea from this whole story. With all the soap opera aspects, all the backstabbing, all the above, the main idea is really very simple. That God, in order to humble us this day, he bestows his blessing in a way that exalts his mercy and humbles the pride of men. That's what's going on here. You probably noticed that all four of the main characters, Jacob, Esau, Rebekah, Isaac, they all succumb to pride in different ways. They're all struggling with pride. And in that respect, they're no different than us. So what I want us to do is take a close look at the different ways they stumble with pride. Okay, the particular failures they fall into so that we can learn from their failure and respond to their failure by learning and understanding how to rightly humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. So we're going to look at each one of these characters, a little bit different than some approaches in this sermon series, and look at each one of these people as a case study because every one of them is going to teach us that God bestows his blessing in a way that does what? Exalts his mercy and humbles the pride of men, okay? So, case study one, Esau. Esau wants God's blessing, but he doesn't want to submit to God's authority. He wants God's blessing, but he doesn't want to submit to God's authority. Okay, where do we see that? Well, the theme of the story, as I said, is God's blessing, right? But there are bookends to the story. Okay, there's an introduction, there's a conclusion. Those things aren't by accident. Do you realize the Bible isn't just like random word vomit on a page? <laughs> well, that looks good. Let's just kind of string it all together. No, it's designed a certain way. And there are bookends to this story, and the bookends are Esau and his wives. Okay, so chapter 26, verses 34 through 35 are about Esau's first two wives, Chapter 28, verses 6 through 9, are about his third wife. And those bookends matter because they reveal something to us, friends. They reveal Esau's real attitude. Not necessarily what he's saying with his mouth, but his real attitude, what was going on in his heart 
toward the promises God gave his family. So look at chapter 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimuth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Easy to skip over. Don't do that. <laughs> okay? Besides the fact that Esau is violating in his polygamy the covenant of marriage that God established in Genesis 2, which is what? A lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. He's completely violating that. What else is the problem here? Well, the problem is that the women that he's chosen weren't just unkind to their in-laws. The problem is that the Canaanites, of whom the Hittites were a part, are throughout Genesis indicted for their wickedness. That's the problem. Okay? And that's why Abraham ordered his son Isaac back in Genesis 24 to do what? To not take a wife from the women of the land, from the Canaanites, including the Hittites, but to go where? To go back to his family in Mesopotamia. He ended up at the house of Rebekah and find a wife from Abraham's kin. Isaac did that. He received a wife, Rebekah, from that land when he was how old? 40. What did Esau do when he was 40? The exact opposite. The exact opposite. The women he was drawn to and chose as his wives, they revealed the character of his heart. That's why it's so significant. And it shows us that Esau wasn't interested in following the Lord at all. He wasn't. So as Isaac's firstborn son... He had a cultural right to receive and enjoy the blessings God had promised to give his family. But listen, he didn't value the promises or trust the one that made them. He wasn't a man of faith who staked his life on what he, he couldn't see. He was a man of the world, a worldly man, who only valued what he could perceive with his physical eyes. So, so that's why he sold his birthright to his brother Jacob back in Genesis 25 for what? A bowl of stew. He didn't sell his birthright just because he was hungry, okay? He sold his birthright, Genesis 25, 34, because he despised his birthright. It's a strong word. He, he was a man, think of it this way, who looked all of God's blessings in the face and said, you know what? No thanks. I'd rather have this. Mm, no, no thanks. I'd rather have this. He didn't treasure God's blessings, which is why he didn't submit to God's authority, right? I mean, why submit? Think about this. Why submit to someone if you don't like what they're offering you. You're not going to do that. Nor did Esau. So fast forward to Genesis 27. At both the, the beginning and the end of the chapter, he seems to have a change of heart. So in verses 4 to 5 of 27, he agrees to hunt game for his father so he could receive Isaac's blessing. Seems to have a change of heart. Maybe he wants the blessing. 
And then he cries out in verse 38, end of chapter 27, with tears of sorrow, Father, have you but one blessing? Bless me, even me also, my Father. So you're reading that and you're thinking, well, well maybe he starts off wrong, but, but it seems like he's having a change of heart. So, so why does he receive what amounts to really more of a prophetic curse than a prophetic blessing in verses 39 through 40? Well, Bruce Waltke points to the underlying issue here, quote, love the way he says this, although Esau at first despises the birthright and its implicit blessing, he changes his mind. But now, it is too late. Esau wants the blessing, but not the prerequisite lifestyle. Think about that. God will not allow this blessing to take place. Esau wants God's blessing, but he doesn't want the prerequisite lifestyle. What what is that lifestyle, friend? That's a lifestyle of complete submission to the authority of God. He wants what God can give, but he doesn't want God. He wants what God can provide, but he doesn't want to submit to him as his king. He didn't trust or value God's promises and blessings before Jacob deceived him and proved as much in the women he married. And then at the end, the last bookend, chapter 28, when he tries to please his father at the end of this whole fiasco, he doesn't seek his parents' counsel. He doesn't repent of his former sins. He simply tries to add some good works onto his fundamentally rebellious lifestyle. Does that sound familiar? I mean, it's it's a pitiful picture. If you look at Chapter 28, verses 6 through 9, it's a pitiful picture of Esau trying to make things right by continuing to do his own thing, his own way, which, which doesn't even deal with the real issue, right? The real issue, the absence of genuine faith in the promises of God as evidenced by a failure to submit to God's authority. That's the issue. And so he doesn't receive a blessing, he receives a curse. Look at verse 39 of chapter 27. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So often, friends, do we not want, when it comes to the things of God, to have our cake and eat it too? We do that all the time. We, we want the benefits of God's favor. We want God's blessing, but, but only on our own terms without having to submit to his authority. We want the blessing, but not the prerequisite lifestyle. And Esau's experience is a sober warning if that's you. You know what the warning is? That is never going to work. God's not going to let that work in his kingdom. He he won't allow you to receive his blessing unless you are willing to submit to his authority. You can take that to the bank. Don't con yourself into thinking that, that you can avoid the pain of dying to yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus and kind of do an end run around all of that 
and still get the blessing. There's, there's no other way. There's no other means. There's no other path. You can't make things right by trying to add your good works on the back end of your life to balance the scales. The only way to know the eternal favor and blessing of God is to repent of doing your own thing and gladly submit to God's authority. It's the only way. So I exhort you, friend, repent of your sins, abandon your rebellion, and submit complete control of your life to the Lord before it's too late. Because when you die and you stand before your maker, it's going to be too late. Hebrews 12, verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Friend, when you stand before King Jesus, there will be no room to say, uh-oh, I got it all wrong. I'm sorry. I now realize I was wrong. Please bless me anyway. No one will be allowed to do that. Not one. That's why we have to turn from our sins today, to humble ourselves today, to trust Jesus to save us today. To not say, Lord, I'm going to keep trying to run around and grab your blessing without submitting to your authority. Stop trying to do that, friend. Trust Jesus to bless you and make right in your life what sin is made wrong, starting with your relationship with God. Esau's story humbles our pride okay, by reminding us we can't have God's blessing without submitting to God's authority. Okay, that's case study one. Here's case study two. If the first was about Esau. Let's think about Isaac. What's going on with Isaac? Well, Isaac enjoys God's blessing, but Isaac tries to use it to advance his purposes. To think about this, okay? He, Isaac's a complicated character. If, if you quickly do it, just a quick read through these chapters, he might feel like a straight-up victim. He's old, he's blind, and he totally gets played by Rebecca and Jacob. How cruel. What a poor, pitiful guy. Well, it was cruel, <laughs> But there's a whole lot more going on in these chapters than first meets the eye when it comes to Isaac, okay? So first, think about this. The end of chapter 26 strongly suggests that Isaac has taken an altogether passive approach to transferring God's promises to the next generation. Why do I say that? Because unlike his father Abraham, who provided a wife for him when he was 40, what does Isaac do? Nothing of the sort. Nothing for his own sons. Now that doesn't exonerate Esau for the choice he made, okay? It simply suggests that Isaac isn't taking God's promises as seriously as he should. 
Why? Because if he took them seriously, then he would be concerned with how to transfer these serious, valuable promises to the next generation. But he doesn't. He's not concerned. And and even when Esau's Hittite wives make life look bitter for Isaac and Rebekah, he does nothing. He's passive. A second... If he's not taking God's promises as seriously as he should, it's not surprising that his spiritual discernment is completely skewed, way off. So Isaac's already experienced the the bitterness of Esau's spiritual rebellion, along with Rebekah. And I'd add to that that word had undoubtedly reached him that Esau sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for a pot of stew. And so integrity alone required that from that point forward, the firstborn's blessing go to who? Jacob. Because Esau swore to him, I don't want that. I swear I'm going to give it all to you. So integrity required Isaac to insist on that. So bottom line, it's pretty obvious from both words and actions that Esau is not at all interested in walking by faith in God's promises. Esau is clearly not a suitable candidate for Isaac to say, hey, you, I want you to transfer Abraham's blessings to mediate them to the next generation. That's not wise at all. His spiritual discernment's off. So why does Isaac still try to bless Esau? Chapter 25, verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Why is he so high on Esau? Because he was a sensual man. Instead of looking to God's word, hear this. It's easy to laugh, but but we do this. Instead of looking to God's word to discern what was right and true, he relied on his own senses. Did you notice how many of the senses are involved in the deception? It's meant to get your attention. You can't trust your senses, friends, your feelings. You can only trust God's word. He didn't rely on God's word. He followed his stomach. Esau was his favorite son as a result. So instead of gathering the whole family, like Jacob and later Joseph do in Genesis and and publicly proclaiming a blessing on each one, what did he try to do? He grabbed his favorite. Hey, Esau, I want to give it all. tried to do it secretly. And you can just see how messed up this family was in the fact that, you know, Rebecca's like listening. (laughs) Not there, but listening. So his spiritual discernment was off. He should have known. He should have recognized. Esau's not a suitable candidate to transfer, to mediate these great promises to the next generation. But, But friends, there's an even bigger issue here than Isaac not taking God's promises seriously And Isaac not exercising spiritual discernment. What's the bigger issue, a bigger failure? It's this. In trying to pass the blessing on to to Esau, he's violating the very oracles of God, the word of God. He's, He's refusing to exchange his desires and ambitions for God's purposes. Why do I say that? Well, what did the Lord declare in Genesis 25, 23 before Jacob and Esau were even born? What did he say? The older will serve the younger. Who was older? 
Esau, who was younger, Jacob. So what does Isaac try to do when he blesses the son? He thinks is Esau in chapter 27, verse 29. Look there. What does he try to do? Let people serve you, Esau, and nations bow down to you, Esau. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you, Esau. Isaac is trying to bring the exact opposite of God's word to pass. That's what he's doing. He, he already enjoyed God's blessings, right? His father Abraham had, had given them to him. But having received God's blessings, what did he do? Did he use those blessings to run after God's purposes and aims and goals? No. He said, oh, this is great. I got an idea for this. He tried to advance his own mission. Friends, we do the exact same thing today. Exact same thing. Whenever we take our our gifts, our abilities, like that Take My Life song we sang, our money, our time, our skills, even, even our sexuality, to try to achieve an end that we think is good instead of taking all those things and humbling allowing God's word to define the end that is good. We do that. So remember this. God's blessings are not a lump of clay that you can twist and mold at your leisure into whatever form or expression you would like for your dreams and your ambitions. That's not Christian freedom, by the way. Christian freedom is being set free by the indwelling spirit of God to use the life we have received in Christ for the master's plans and the master's purposes, right? Even if those things aren't our preference, even if those things aren't easy, even if those things don't feel like anything at all we want to do, they are his plans and purposes. That's the goal. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 4.1? This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. Okay, the singular aim of every faithful Christian who has received the blessing of God must be to take those blessings and make much of Christ with all that you are and all that you have. That is what Isaac forgot. That was his pride. He forgot that God wasn't just the origin of his blessing. God was the goal of his blessing. So take care, brothers and sisters, that you use God's blessings to achieve God's purposes. Why? Because it's only God's purposes that are going to stand. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is what? The purpose of the Lord that will stand. Case study number three, Rebecca. If Isaac enjoyed God's blessings but tried to use them for his purposes, Rebecca craves God's blessing, but she doesn't trust God's power to bring it to pass. So if Isaac sought, follow me here, the wrong thing in the right way, Rebecca is a classic example of seeking the right thing in the wrong way. So, why do I say that? Because favorites aside, she was right to want Jacob to receive the blessing of the firstborn, right? After all, way back in Genesis 25, God had said what to them? Jacob is the one that I have chosen. Jacob is the one who's going to mediate the blessings of Abraham, God's blessings, to the next generation. So she was right to want Jacob to be blessed, 
What she wanted was good, but her methods were deplorable. (laughs) She wanted the right thing, unlike Isaac, but she was really no better because her methods were deplorable. And instead of trusting God to accomplish his perfect plan, despite her husband's spiritual weaknesses, she took matters into her own hands. And she manipulated the aging man. She told Jacob exactly what to do to convince Isaac that Jacob was really Esau. So so Jacob executes this grand deception, but whose plan is it all along? It's mom's. It's Rebecca's. You know, even in verse 26 of chapter 27, when she's desperate to find a way to protect Jacob from Esau's revenge, she still doesn't shoot straight with Isaac. What does she do? She plays the victim. She preys on his guilty conscience and, and goads him into action by making him feel sorry for her. Look there, verse 46. Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? cover worked. And Isaac sent Jacob off to Padan Aram to find a wife from Rebekah's family. So, so you could argue on one level that all her scheming worked. See, mom and dad, it's proof that sometimes what God really wants to use is deception and sin. Not so fast, okay? She figured out a way to get Isaac to bless Jacob. So God's purposes and her strong preferences as a mom could get fulfilled. But, okay, the divine author of Genesis, the Lord, isn't just interested in his people making the right thing happen. In other words, the end never justifies the means in the kingdom of God. God must be glorified in the whole, both the end and in the means. He seeks a humble people, friends, who are willing to do the right thing in the right way. And there are plenty of clues in this story that Rebecca is not doing the right things at all. So one of the clearest, just to pick one of these for the sake of time, is the number of times that she tells Jacob to what? Obey her voice. Do you notice that? Verse eight, verse 13, And again in verse 43, whose voice are we told to obey for, I don't know, all the prior chapters in Genesis? God's voice, right? Examples. Genesis 22, verse 18, God says to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And then God urges Isaac to follow his father's example, Genesis 26, 4 through 5, when he says, in your offspring, talking to Isaac, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and and my laws. So whose voice are we supposed to obey? God's. Whose voice does Rebekah tell Jacob to obey? Hers. Three times. Why? Because she doesn't trust God's power to bring God's blessings to pass in God's way at God's time. She wants the right thing, 
She hungers for what's pleasing to God. But, but instead of trusting God and loving the men in her family, starting with her husband by urging them to follow the Lord, what does she try to do? I'm going to play God. I'm going to take this in my own hands. I'm going to do God's job for him. Because I don't think he's doing a great job right now. Because if he was doing a great job, my husband would have his act together. There's a warning here, friends. There's a warning because we do that. We, we try to do God's job for him as spouses, as parents, and even as friends. Remember this, okay? The end never justifies the means. God, God wants you, God wants us to trust him and his power to bring his promises to pass in his way at his time. It's not just enough. Humility doesn't simply say God's way is best. Now, whatever the heck we have to do over here to get this train over this way, fine. No, it's God's way, seeking God's blessings through God's means. That doesn't mean we don't pray. That doesn't mean we don't exhort and admonish. It does mean that because God is mighty to save, we can stop short and have to stop short of nagging and manipulating and deceiving. And we need to wait for the Lord to deliver his blessings. That's the warning. She wants the right thing, but she didn't trust God to bring it out. Case study four. We've looked at Esau, Isaac, Rebecca. We'll end with Jacob. What's up with Jacob? What's not up with Jacob? <laughs> I'd summarize it this way. Jacob receives God's blessings, but it's not because he deserves it. That's what's up with Jacob. He receives God's blessings. Remember, what Esau wanted them, but didn't want to submit to God's authority. Isaac enjoyed them, but tried to use them for his own ends. Rebekah valued and craved them, but didn't trust God to bring them to pass. Isaac received them, but not because he deserved it. So to put it bluntly, Jacob received them, but not because he deserved it. Jacob, just to summarize, He's the consummate shyster, <laughs> okay? He tricks his brother. He tricks his dad. And he even manages to blaspheme God along the way, okay? When Isaac asks in Genesis 27, verse 20, look there. How is it, Esau, that you have found the game so quickly, my son? And Jacob answers, what? Because the Lord your God Granted me success? <laughs> I mean, laughing aside, friends, that's, that is one of those moments when you, when you almost just expect a lightning strike to fall down. Right? And strike him dead. Why? Because he just implicated the Holy One in his sin and deception. That's a big deal. We can just keep right on reading. I marvel at the fact 
that Jacob's life doesn't end right there. Because a lying tongue is one of seven things the Lord explicitly says he hates and are an abomination to him in Proverbs 6. And Psalm 5 or 6 rightly adds, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So what Jacob does is completely wrong. Completely wrong. Even if he does have a legal right because of Esau's oath to have the birthright. What he does is completely wrong. He's lying. But you know, there's an even deeper problem with Jacob. It's not just his lying. Here's here's the deeper problem, okay? He has yet to refer to the Lord as his God. So the first time he begins to do that is actually not until later in chapter 28 when he has a dream and the Lord appears to him at Bethel. But did you notice how he referred to the Lord when Isaac was talking to him? Did he say, the Lord my God has given me success? No, 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 no. The Lord your God. All the signs before Bethel, later in 28, starting with his deceptive behavior in chapter 27, suggest that while Jacob hungers for God's blessing and appears to obey God's word, right, by taking a wife from his parents' family instead of the women of Canaan, he has yet to trust the Lord in his heart. So notice when he questions the wisdom of Rebekah's plan, look at verse 12 of chapter 27. Verse 12, his objection there has nothing to do with the fear of the Lord. It's all about his own interest and advantage. What does he say? Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. So the the word of the Lord has yet to become his reference point for life. In fact, you could argue that while his outward actions seem more compliant than his brother Esau's, his heart doesn't seem any different than Esau's. So... Here's the big question. Why on earth would God bless a man like that? Why why would God choose a shyster to accomplish his plan of mediating his divine favor, not just to the next generation, but to the entire world? Why, Why would God bring everything to a point, this whole soap opera, to where Isaac prophesies over Jacob with a heart of faith, Genesis 28, verses 3 through 4, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. That's going to the shyster. Friends, there is only one explanation for that. And you know what it is? It is the mercy of Almighty God. That's it. It's the simple fact that God bestows his blessings in a way that does what? What did I say at the beginning? Exalts his mercy and humbles the pride of men. Romans 9, 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? 
by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, hear this king's way. It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. The blessings, the triumph of God's program in your life and in this church and in his entire kingdom depend not on human will and exertion. Not on your faithfulness as a spouse. Not on your faithfulness as a parent. Not on my faithfulness as a pastor. It depends on God and God alone who has mercy. Because if Esau was a jerk and Jacob was a saint and God blessed Jacob, what would we conclude? We would conclude that it's the good people who get God's blessing. That is not God's way, friend. That's not God's plan. Why not? Because that would give you and I a reason to boast in ourselves. Remember what I said at the very beginning. We are not players in a man-centered universe. We are creatures in a God-centered universe. Listen, our creator's exceedingly good and glorious commitment is to bring his blessing to pass in the lives of his people in a way that leaves us without a single boast save the mercy of God. That's what the gospel is all about. In his great mercy, God's made a way for sinners who do not deserve his blessings to receive his blessings as a free gift through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ because God no longer mediates his blessings through the mouths of men right? He mediates his blessing through the person of his son. And what does Jesus do? How does he bless us? What does he hold out to us if we're willing to submit to his authority? Forgiveness, eternal life, reconciliation with God, joy unspeakable. That's the blessing God holds out to you in Christ and eternally and unchangeably guarantees to you by making you worthy of his blessing by declaring you righteous in Christ. Titus 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. End of story. Jacob receives God's blessings, but not because he deserves it, nor do we, friends. Don't think for a moment that after you've had a really good week and in your mind, you finally did it. Like, I didn't lust. I didn't look at porn. I, I used my time well. I got up in the morning. I read my Bible. I even prayed for a couple of people. Like, whoa, I'm on a roll. Blessing train. Don't do that. You do that. You think that. And I'm willing to bet God will withhold for a while an awareness and experience of his blessing to remind you that those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. God bestows his blessings in a way that what? Exalts his mercy and humbles our pride. Christianity is not one of many ways out there to earn God's blessing, okay? Christianity says no one can earn God's blessing. You can only receive it as a gift of faith in Christ. 
That's the point. And so though this entire section of Genesis reads like an ancient Near East version of masterpiece theater, complete with jilted lovers, sibling rivalry, parental deception, and death threats, the mess is not an accident. It's not an accident. It's it's merely a foil. It's a case study designed by God to, to humble us and urge us to seek his blessings in his way through his power for his purposes. So, church, hear this. Take refuge in knowing along the way, even through the mess, that God is bringing his program of blessing to pass. If he can bring his program of blessing to pass through a family that is this messed up, he can do it through your family. He can do it through us. And may your heart overflow with love for Jesus, the fount of every blessing, who has freely lavished on us what Isaac and his family could only gaze at from afar. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful. That you don't just bestow blessing. You don't just scatter blessing. You don't just pour out blessing, though you do. Father, you, you do those things in a way that exalts your mercy and humbles our pride. And Father, I pray as we sing this song of response to you that you would fill our hearts with a new amazement and gratitude for the mercy of God, and you would guard us, King Jesus, from ever experiencing, receiving, or looking at blessing and thinking we are anything but Jacob. Lord, we are all Jacobs. And so we cry out to you for mercy, and we thank you that that is what we freely find in Jesus Christ. Use this song, Father, to seal out in our heart, we pray.